Well, hello, I'm Joel, one of the pastors here. It's good to be able to be with you today. Um, we're going to be jumping into the Word of God, of course, here in just a moment. If you're new to this place, uh, that's what we do. We just open up Scripture, we walk through it, we don't add to it, don't remove from it, um, and we love the Word of God. Amen. Um, we're going to do and finish up a two-week series. Pastor Jim was able to speak to it last week, uh, Ecclesia. It's about what the New Testament church really was, what it should be about. I'm going to conclude that today. And then next week, I get to jump into a series that moves from living in biblical community to living in God's presence. And it's walking through the life of Joshua. Um, hopefully, you know what that is in his life. And um, looking not only there, but looking all the way back, we'll begin with um, Isaac and Jacob and um, just all types of individuals that had such a huge impact uh, as we get to walk through those, that life together. Some amazing stories. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then we're going to dive into living in biblical community, this, uh, biblical wisdom, I'm sorry, uh, this summer. Uh, walking through a lot of the themes of Proverbs. And I'm just giving you a down, down uh, kind of the down low of the next year or so. And then living in culture this fall. And I didn't say this in the previous service, but I'm going to say it now. Um, and hopefully I'm going to keep my voice today. If you can't tell, it's already going. But um, I, I want to let you know something. It's going to be, I'm, I'm praying right now for this next year. If you didn't know, it's a political year. And... Um, we have a lot of hatred in this country. We have a great opportunity to, to teach and preach the power of the gospel and to do it with gentleness and love. And so we're excited about that. And so I'm going to preach through a series this fall called Living in Culture. What's it look like to live in that biblical wisdom that God's given to us to live in God's presence that we're going to walk through, to live as a biblical community, which we get to today, so that we can live in culture and see an entire culture come back to know Jesus Christ. That is our goal. That is what we're striving to do with every single thing in us. We have not been called to reach a few people within a few miles of this church. We really believe. I, friends, you've heard it before. I want, to, I want to do everything we can to preach the gospel, the word of God, so much and, and to see so much profound change and transformation that it forces the churches that aren't preaching the gospel to start preaching the gospel again. That's the goal. Because we can't hold them all. We can't do it all ourselves. We don't think we can. We're not going to try to. That's, that's up to God. But we're going to be faithful to the call that God has given to us. And that's part of what we get to speak about today in Ecclesia. What does it look like? And man, I tell you, there's so many different people with different understandings of what church is. For some people, a church is, is a place that tells them what not to do, right? And so people, especially young people today, and we already know that young men is the largest population that it does not attend church. Young men in their 20s. Now, I think that goes back to a lot of different things. I think we struggled a lot with the different wars. When we have war, by far the majority of people who go to war are young men and they come back and they are just filled with so much trauma and everything else. They're not in the church. And every time we go to war, it goes all the way back to World War I, also World War II, um, Vietnam, um, other things as well. And what happens is a lot of those people who have this allegiance to serve the country also have an allegiance to God. They leave the church. It's filled primarily 60% are women at that point. 60 to 65%. And so then you end up with a bunch of churches that have potpourri in them. No, seriously. And then the men don't want to go back. And so we're having a struggle today and we're going to do everything that we can to reach the men and the women and the kids 
to go and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe you have an idea of what church is. I'll give you some pictures of what church, uh, some people will think that church is. Here's a picture for you of this site here. Uh, this is right here, Chapel Point Hudsonville. You see where the new construction is going in the back there. We're looking at some other things as well, which is going to be a lot of fun this next year. Uh, we get to add even more, six or seven more kids rooms and all kinds of counseling center and everything else is coming. So that's a lot of fun for us. Uh, here's another picture of what church is. Uh, this is our Holt campus right outside of Lansing. Yes, we are now there in Lansing in the capital because we want, we want our governor to know Jesus Christ. Right. Um, and it's not to be mean. Maybe somebody will send this to her. It's not to be mean. It's simply to let you know uh, that there's always a greater life in the life of Jesus. So, uh, yeah, we're there. Next picture is our uh, campus here in Byron Center. And some people think that's the church. They're like, so I've been told I can't go to your church. It doesn't have a steeple. I've been told that before. It's a new thing. Literally a few centuries old, not even. It's a new thing, and yet we get wrapped up in what we think church has to be and can't be. It's remarkable, the things that we hold on to. But these are just buildings. We know that's not really the church. This is just a space that holds people. That's it. This is what the church looks like, people serving and greeting people. Again, that's at our, our Byron Center campus. That's, of course, right in our Hudsonville campus. And we see people welcoming each other and, and greeting one another. And um, the worship and the proclamation of the word of God that we get to have with one another. Um, I believe that today, if you really love Jesus, you drink coffee. Amen. And there's our cafe team and people who are here. Um, there's Pastor Andrew Honeycutt, his wife Krista. That's an amazing young couple that's there, our site pastor in Byron Center, as they worship and people teaching kids with one of these are pictures of the church. It's not the buildings, right? Praying together. Friends, can I tell you, God's doing remarkable things in our young people. I have prayed for a decade that this church would start having a, just a, a radical movement of our young people, and it's happening. And before long, we're going to see adults needing to emulate their children rather than the other way around. Adults, we, we better start catching up. People praying over each other. We're here to help people raise families. This is what the church is. This is what it looks like. Maybe you have an image of what church really is. These are people in Boston from our church. We go every year to help college students move in because many of them know, they have no clue of who Jesus is, truly. And so we get to tell them about Christ as we move their furniture up and down stairs for them. And we get more people serving and greeting people. And I challenge students all the time, try to make it into one of our campuses without being said hello to. You can't do it. Unless you cheat and you come into some emergency exit, like, right? Because we want people to know they're loved and we want you to know that you're loved, even if it's your first time here, especially if it's your first time here, especially our, uh, our kids. Someone, someone came in recently, like, where's, where's, where's child care? I'm like, we don't do child care. We teach your children about Jesus. We don't just make sure they stay safe. We make sure they know the word of God. Amazing people who do that. We're making disciples. Matthew chapter 28. We're making disciples of all nations. These are pictures of the church, isn't it? This is what it's really about. Even families coming and putting on the green lanyard and serving together as believers. You want your children to love the church? Serve the church with your children. That's what we get to be together. 
These are pictures of the church as we worship with one another. And that's what we get to talk about today, what it looks like to truly not just look at buildings, but what does it mean to be the church together collectively? And it's going to challenge some of you. You heard it from Pastor Jim last week. We're going to keep talking about it today. We recognize the movement of God in this place, and we're going to do everything we can to be obedient to his word and to be the church together. And so what we want to do is I'm going to be looking at Acts chapter 2. 37 through 47. I'm going to break it up in two sections. So to honor the word of God, will you stand for its reading? Even if you're you're at home, I know we have a lot of people watching online right now. Um, I'm just assuming that the snow hit all of you more than my house. I don't know. Um, But I don't care. I just want you listening to the word of God. So even if you're at home, stand up with us for the reading of the word. Um, Acts chapter 2, 37 through 41. We're just going to read this to begin. I'm going to run through this quickly before we dive into the rest of the text today. If I stop reading, you pick up the rest. Good? Good? Guys, I'm riled up. You better pray I lose my voice. Um, Now, when they heard this, and this is right after, and you can leave the word up here. This is right after Peter's sermon. So Peter's preaching the first Christian message here in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, coming of the Holy Spirit has come, starts to do some radical stuff, and it was radical, let me tell you right now. And it says that when they heard this sermon, they heard the message that they needed to, to come before Jesus Christ. And what he had done, it says that they heard this and they were cut to the They were cut to the heart. That's conviction, my friends. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be every one of you. He does not say repent, be baptized, whoever feels like it. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the... For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So again, I've already told you, Peter's preaching this and... People are just being convicted. They're like, oh man, what do we do with this now? And they heard this. The the gospel was proclaimed. The gospel was preached. And it it brought a conviction from the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're again new here, conviction is a blessing. Some people don't like conviction because they're like, oh, that's God speaking into my life. Tell me what not to do. They think church is a place to tell them what not to do. It's a blessing because God's saying, no, don't you understand? This is where I have more for you. And so he dwells within us and he gives us that conscience to be able to know right from wrong. And we're also guided by the the word of God and the Holy Spirit living within us. And it says that they were cut to the heart. And it's a good way of describing when you have conviction in your life, cut to the heart. Do you know when you are cut to the heart? Right. Another way to think about it is the difference between being embarrassed and being broken. I speak about that often. Like when I look at people and they're like, oh, you're intimidating. I'm like, why am I intimidating? I'm 5'2", a buck 20, right? Not really, but I, I, right, compared to normal people here. And um, I look at it and I go, why? And it's just because I ask hard questions. I want to know people for real. I don't like small talk. Everybody knows that. I hate small talk. I can't stand it. Um, 
And I just go, I want to know real life. And I saw, I looked at one person they were interviewing here. I'm like, man, well, you know, a lot of people have been embarrassed. You know, you're, you got caught for something. But man, what happens when, you, when you're broken is different. When was the last time you were broken? They're like, man, you're intimidating. I can't work here. I'm like, man, you're missing out just on a good life. Can you tell me when you were cut to the heart, broken in that way? If you haven't, then the longer you wait to surrender to the will of God, the harder the breaking will likely be. They're cut to the heart. They have deep conviction. They say, what shall we do? And Peter, clear, he exhorted. And, and you know, I'm an exhorter. And so that's why I love certain books more than other books even. And that's why I love Ephesians and I love Hebrews and I love these books like that. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And he clearly exhorts them. He says, repent. This is what he's saying. Repent. Acknowledge who you are and who God is. Be baptized. Let the world know. Let everybody know. And you're like, well, do I have to let everybody know? Listen, Romans 1.16 very clearly says, do not be ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of Jesus Christ living within us. So we go, wait, you don't want to be ashamed. People who are ashamed of the gospel, letting other people know I'm concerned for their understanding of who Jesus is and what they've been freed from. To repent means to change one's mind or one's direction. To change one's mind or one's direction. To repent means to change one's mind to change one direction. To repent means to change one's mind or one and one's direction. When I say things multiple times, it typically means you should probably write it down. Because if you've repented from something, that means you turn away from it. You don't go, oh, I'm sorry I did that. And you still live going in the same direction and you do it again. Like, honestly, that's called being dumb. Seriously. I'm just going to keep doing the same thing over and over. I know God's grace is enough, so I'm good. I don't need to worry about it. No, when you're overwhelmed by the goodness of God, you want to be obedient to the word of God. And so he says, repent. John the Baptist speaks this very thing. In, in fact, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, John the Baptist, this is before Jesus was even baptized. John, uh, Matthew chapter 3, he's being baptized in the wilderness. Matthew chapter 4 begins his messianic ministry, Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse, uh, chapter 3, and Matthew 3, verse 2, John the Baptist comes and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is what he's preaching. He's the forerunner of the Messiah. And he's preaching, you need to repent. How easy are you, how eager are you to repent? This is what they're needing to do as the New Testament church. Jesus says the same thing in that chapter, in Matthew chapter 4. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And it's a theme that we see over and over. Repent, 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 repent. And now after the first Christian sermon, everybody's like, oh man, I feel this conviction and I'm cut to the heart. What do I need to do? He says what? Everybody say repent. Friends, repent is a word of hope. You ever thought of it like that? It's a word of hope. It says that you don't have to keep living as you have been living. Oh man, I did this and I need to repent and I don't have to live like this anymore and be held captive to alcohol or, or to smoking marijuana or I don't have to be held captive to pornography. I don't have to be held captive and consumed by what others are going to think about me and what are they going to say and what are they going to do about what I'm doing and you don't have to be held captive to that. You can live in the freedom of Jesus Christ. Repent is a word of hope. That's what it is. 
And so this is the response to Peter's sermon. Uh, and, and, and in one day, the church goes from roughly, it tells us in Acts chapter 1, about 120 followers at his ascension, and it goes to 3,000 fast. And some of them were, many of them were pilgrims. We know that this was during the Feast of Pentecost. And during the Feast of Pentecost, what would happen is uh, Jerusalem would swell well over four times normal average, normal numbers. And so these people would come from all over the place. And a lot of these people, this is part of how the New Testament church, Ecclesia, grew, is because these people had to come in from all over the place. And they're hearing the message of Jesus Christ. And now they're going out. They're leaving after the feast. And they're, they're spreading the power of the gospel of Jesus. And so the ecclesia, the church, was called out, and you heard this last week, called out, was called together, and called to go on mission. Called out, called together, called to go on mission. I know you did motions and stuff like that, but I'm not coordinated. Here's a simple definition that we're going to keep pounding on today, is that the church is a group of people set apart by Christ to be on mission for Christ. The church is a group of people. We're the church together. If you claim to know Jesus, anybody here know Jesus, say hallelujah. We're the church together called out to go on mission. Now, here's the struggle that we're going to have. And you're going to see this theme play out through Scripture. But the struggle is we often will acknowledge that we know Jesus, but we can't tell people how we are called to go on mission for Jesus. So when we plan services and everything else, I'm like, man, no, I want people to participate. The reason I get you to talk back, I want you to remember it and I want you to participate. You're not here just to spectate. You're not here just to simply watch. You're here to engage in worship of the king. I'm adamant about that one. And so when I see services and they, they know that's part of my thing, afterwards I'm like, man, I didn't see anything that they did. Like they're all a bunch of people just watching. We got to do this different. And so in Acts chapter two, what you're seeing, um, and this is what we're about to read in verse 42 and following, a lot of people heard the sermon they repented. They were baptized. The church was being crafted. The church was being formed right in front of them. And so now we're about to see the life as it comes to fruition, as it's being birthed out of the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We're about to see the life of what that looked like. Right? We're about to see it start maturing. It's like having a child every single time I'm amazed, right? Babies, they're somewhat cute, but I think they look like raisins. And, but as they mature, and I can say that. My wife's had lots of kids. And, and so as they start to mature and start to grow within about a month, you're like, wow, they don't look like a raisin anymore. And then they keep going. And like month three, they start talking back. <laughs> is what it feels like. And, and, and then they just, and they just start eating everything in sight by the time they're a teenager and you spend $18,000 a month on groceries. Um, not that I'm in that place right now. So I, you start to see it, see the individual grow. Well, that's what we're about to see with the new Testament church. And we want to be grounded in what it looked like. And so will you please stand for the reading of the word of God? Once again, verse 42 and following, and this is what it says. And if you don't like to snow uh, shovel and stuff like that and get exercise, this is your exercise. It's good for you. Um, if you want to shovel snow at some point today, I'll give you my address later on. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the... Everybody say koinonia. That's the Greek word there. Hopefully you've heard it before. 
It's the depth of the friendship and the fellowship that they had with one another to the breaking of bread and prayers. And, and what? I love that word. Awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and what? Generous, Generous hearts. It was just their posturing. Praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being. It's the word of God. You may be seated. So, what I want to do, I'm going to break this text up. And I'm going to give you three big rocks of what it means to be ecclesia, what it looks like to be set apart by Christ, to be on mission for Christ. Three big rocks, but let me go ahead and tell you now, as you take notes, each of those rocks have several points, especially the first two. So I want you to leave room for it if you need, a room, need to leave room for it. But what you're going to hear is this, is that we are called to live in biblical community. We are called to live as ecclesia in worship, in relationships, and on mission. Those are the three big rocks, in worship, in relationships, and on mission. So we're going to talk about what it first looks like to live in biblical relationship, through biblical community, I'm sorry, through worship. And what does that involve? And you will learn a lot about why we make some of the decisions that we make even as a ministry, as a congregation, as a church, and how I look at certain things when it comes to scripture. Um, Why? Because the fuel of our community and our mission actually is worship. Is this church... um, was really kind of, I would say, uh, reprioritizing certain things a long, long time ago. They came up with the next gear document that really is, is our vision statement, our values today of, of God's presence would be palpable. That's one of our prayers that we would, that everybody would live in that area of spiritual giftedness, that we, discipleship would be a way of life, that we would engage in community expansion. And these things drive us as a ministry. And they're all rooted in the word of God because it's so important that we know who we are and who we're called to be. And these people were living in community and worship. And the way that they were doing it is by the first, the preaching of the word. I told you this is underneath worship, but you're going to have a, several things, five things here under worship. Um, the preaching of the word, and that leads to transformation, not only information. We know that transformation is a continual process, not a one-time event. I always tell people, tell me in the last three months how God has transformed your life. And they go, I'm not really growing right now. I go, there's a problem with that. Some people know that the day that they came to know Jesus Christ, and that was 26 years ago, and they can't tell you anything and how they've grown since. I would argue that you may not be a believer. I'm not going to say that you're not. That's up to God to judge. But it also taught us that you look at the fruit. You look at the fruit of someone's life and you know what their, if their feet are planted by the streams of living water. Proverbs, uh, I'm sorry, Psalm chapter 1. And what that means for us. And so we want to be all about the preaching of the word of God. Preaching the gospel, it led to conversion of 3,000 people. Um, Acts chapter 2, 40 and 41, right away. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Wow. That's what the preaching of the word does. The Holy Spirit's power led to transformed lives. 
And so if you really want to be ecclesia, a biblical community, you have to ask if you're doing it through worship, primarily in the preaching of the word of God, also by being a people who pray. One of the coolest things about today is it was about 6.10 this morning, 6.05. I'm out in my driveway. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm out in my driveway early this morning and, and I'm recognizing that there was 12, I had 12 foot snowdrift, um, which means about 18 inches, but it felt like that. And I was like, I had a shovel in my hand. I'm like, what a, I mean, how are people going to do this? So I was like, I'm not canceling church. You don't have to come. This is my posture. You don't have to come, but don't blame the ones who want to come. You can watch online, but we're going to worship. Um, And so I was like, well, I'll cancel the eight o'clock. I'll cancel the eight o'clock. And so I canceled the eight o'clock service and I'm sitting there. And what I love is we still had people who didn't get the message that was in time. That's my fault. I'm sorry, kind of, because I had a bunch of people here coming to pray. And I had people in the prayer room just praying for you to encounter God. The snow didn't keep them away. They knew that people may come today who didn't have anything else to do. And they wanted them to encounter the living God. And so they came to pray for you. That's what the church does. That's what Ecclesia does. That's what we get to do for one another. And so, yes, if we really want to live in biblical community through worship, we're going to preach the word of God. We're going to pray together. We're going to, it tells us in 41 and 42, the ordinances. We're going to acknowledge the ordinances. There's two primary ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. You can't get away from what baptizo means. That's the original word. It's used every time. Everybody who came to come to know him, they were immersed. They were baptized. I know there's a whole thing with the CRC and some people, they sprinkle and they do this. It's all made up. You can't find that anywhere in scripture. We're just trying to be obedient to the word of God. I'm not going to yell at any of you. We're just going to tell you, hey, listen, if you're raised in a Christian home, no matter where it was and what church it was, great. Maybe this is just part of that process of you to learn and grow more. People make too big of a deal out of it because they don't like having to change anything in which the way they grew up. Well, God transforms us all the time and we keep growing. Amen. Like, really? We're going to make, make, I look at people all the time. I'm like, you know, we're trying to be obedient to the word of God. Yes. Yes. So you're going to make a deal out of us trying to be obedient to the word of God. Lord have mercy. What have we done in the church? Really? So we're going to observe the baptism, the Lord's table, Lord's table. We find that and we know that it's symbolic, but the bread represents his body and the wine or the juice that we take represents his blood. And we remember in order to then celebrate. It tells us in verse 43, and you read this, it says, and all came upon every soul. Everybody say all once again. This is part of what worship is, is that you walk into this place and you're in awe. Because you're together with brothers and sisters and you, you get to raise up the name of Jesus. It should leave you in awe. I think we've lost that in our society. Cheering from Michigan when they won the national championship. Well done. Blind squirrel. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I really am kidding. If Georgia doesn't win it, I want Michigan to win it. That's my posture. Um, just because I don't want to listen to it. Um, that's not all. I think we've mixed up and, and I would say even misdefined what it is to live in all. To live in all is to simply come and go, I can't believe what God was willing to do in the giving of his son for me on my behalf. And you, you, don't, you don't even know how to express it. Like the kindness of my friends to me. Recently, I, I turned 50 and I, um, 
meaning like four days ago. And people are like, do you feel the difference? And everybody's like, no, I don't feel the difference. I'm like, I do. Uh, and everything just takes a lot longer to heal. Anybody else notice that? It's like I work out and I feel it eight years later. And it's just like, come on, I like, get better. Um, but I, I look at it and I'm just like, people have been so generous and I'm in awe. People are like, what's the greatest blessing in your life, Joel? They're asking birthday questions. I'm like, my friends, like people are so kind to me. Like some of, some of my people, I didn't ask them. They came and shoveled my driveway for me when I was out of town. And they're doing all this stuff. Like people are just, I, I think that's amazing. And those are people to me who are living their life in a, a way of worship through the, the awe of God's power. They're amazed. I'm in awe of God's power and how he uses other people to demonstrate that. And, they, and the fifth thing that they did is they praised God together. It tells us in verse 47, it says, praising God and having favor with all the people. And so they're praising God with each other. Friends, worship is not an event. To me, this is a culmination of all of us who should be living a life for Jesus Christ. And so it's a culmination of all that we get to come and go, wow, together. And it does tell us that day by day they were coming together. So some of you are like, well, I mean, like, that's why I'm just dumbfounded. The average person who claims to know Jesus, average attendance is 1.6 times a month. And yet it tells us here. Tells us here that day by day by day, they were coming and meeting together and gathering with each other. And I'm like, what have we done to make it such? We've made worship about when it's convenient rather than being all the power of God. How dare us to take a, a heavenly father who gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die on our behalf. And then we're like, I'm not going to go. It's not convenient for me. Might be a little difficult. Research the, ch the, the church in the first 350 years, especially up to the Council of Nicaea in 352. And the persecution and the depth of the hostility, people would literally claim Jesus Christ and family members would just disappear. But they stayed faithful to who Jesus was and the ministry grew, the kingdom grew, and now God will be honored more than ever. And we can't give up some inconveniences? How dare us? We're like, oh, we need to be like the New Testament church. Really? You want to be like, you want to be like the New Testament church? Show up tomorrow, same time. And then the rest of the day, you're going to go serve the king. Tuesday, same time. Rest of the day, it was such a cultural, not only inconvenience, you received persecution immediately from the culture from being a lover of Jesus. And so they lived in biblical community through worship, through the preaching of the word, God's people praying together, ordinances, all of God's power, praise. And then second, the, the second big rock is they lived in biblical community and relationships. That's that word fellowship. And in, in, in verse 42, it says, in, in fellowship with each other, koinonia. And it explains the depth of fellowship with each other. Like they were willing to do. That's one of the things I'm most impressed about with Chapel Point. I love the ministry and the, the, the kindness of the people here and what they're willing to do to be in fellowship with each other. I think we're like 16, 17, something like that. A hundred adults in small groups living in a relationship. Let 
living in biblical community and relationships means fellowship. It means giving back to the needs of others. That's 44 and 45. It talks about how they were giving back to the needs of others and meeting those needs of other people. It tells us very clearly in this passage, it says that all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Whatever's needed, just take it. My cars aren't my cars. My house isn't my house. I was able to, you guys were kind and last summer sent me on sabbatical and the whole time I had people staying in my house. Pastors, some of them I'd never met before. Like, what if they take some of your stuff? I'm like, I got lots of kids, man. It needs to be replaced anyway. Like, what do you want, my blender? Like, who gives a rip? Like, who cares? Take it. It's not yours. And so they shared all these things and they had all these things in common and they were meeting the needs of people in significant ways. They lived in biblical community in relationships through fellowship, through giving and through gathering with each other and each other. It talks very clearly. It says in verse 46 and day by day, everybody say day by day, attending the temple together. Oh, day by day. They did that together like every day. Really? Oh, I don't really have time for that. Okay, And breaking bread in their homes, every day they're meeting together, they receive their food with glad and with generous hearts. To me, what, part of what that means, if you look at it, with the generous hearts and that they received this, it means they were in awe not only of God, but what God was doing in their life to provide for them. I'm in awe of God. And what he's done for me. And so, yeah, living in biblical community means doing it through worship, but also in relationship with each other. Third big rock is that living in biblical community means being on mission together. Remember, we're set apart of Christ to be on mission for Christ. Set apart by Christ to be on mission for Christ. Set apart by Christ to be on mission for Christ. And so we want to live in biblical community on mission to serve a broken world. And you want to talk, like, I look at these people who are, man, they, you know, they just want like, hell yeah, Jesus sounds cool. I'll be baptized. That didn't, that didn't exist. These were people so radically transformed by Christ. They were willing to be persecuted by the community in which they lived in order to represent Jesus Christ. In the midst of severe persecution, they stood and represented Jesus. It's the definition of spiritual tenacity. I had a long conversation yesterday with my kids about spiritual tenacity. Man, we need more people with spiritual tenacity. Like that's the one thing I think, like, it's just in you. And the greater the conviction, the greater the depth of what you know what God has done for me, or done for you even, the more you're willing to stand in that no matter what. Some people have told me before, and like, Joel, you're a little stubborn. I'm like, I'm not stubborn. I really don't think I am. But I know when God has spoken into my life and told me to do something, and I will not let it go. If I know it's from God, that's the one thing I have going for me. Hebrews says it all the time. What's it say? Hold fast. Everybody say hold fast. The person with great spiritual tenacity, you're willing to hold fast no matter what because everything, the worst that comes at you, it's still temporary compared to the greatness of who Jesus is. 
And so we need more people with spiritual tenacity. The person uh, I look at and um, I enjoy reading some biographies and learning about people is I'm still, I'm amazed with the life of Winston Churchill. Born, I think, around 1890 or so. Prime Minister of UK through World War II from 1940, 41 to 45, and then again, 50 and on. And man, he had some ups and downs, I tell you. But during World War I, he knew what was coming from World War, uh, World War I and what Hitler was wanting to do and everything. And he saw it coming, World War II. And all of a sudden, the French and the British are pinned down, really, by the Germans. And people are like, man, we need to negotiate with Hitler. And he's like, no, we can't negotiate with Hitler. And, and this is what he says. He's defiant in this. He's like, nations that went down fighting rose again. But those which surrendered tamely were finished. And there are too many people today who I think are, are surrendering tamely the gospel of Jesus Christ because we don't like the inconvenience. When we, know, we need more people with the spiritual tenacity to say, listen, even if I go down in this world, I know I have for eternity life with the heavenly father and I will not surrender. What happened to those people? Where are they? What happened to them? We need to be living in koinonia, deep fellowship with each other. In fact, this is how I'd even say it. If you're a man, will you please stand up? If you're a man, please stand up. Friends, I know that we live in a world and in a culture, and I know that we live in a society that says men should go to the basement, go to the man room, go to the man cave, go to the garage, and just kind of be silent and take the beating from the rest of the world. And so we've kind of taken that cue, and so we don't jump into small groups. We don't jump into authentic relationships because we don't want to tell everybody about how we're really doing because we don't think it will be received or embraced. But friends, let me tell you now. If you choose not to step into biblical relationship, biblical community, I think it's a sin. Because the word of God says we are to step into koinonia with each other. And so instead of allowing the world to tell us what we should be doing, we're going to be guided by the scripture and we're going to shape the world to be about the word of God. You see the difference? Well, I don't really do relationship. I don't, I mean, I'm just kind of like, and we cross our arms. You know how many times I'm like doing, I'm doing like this and I look out and people are like, you can hear them mumbling. But you're a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. Well, this is just how I'm made. No, no, you're, the old is gone. You're a new creation in Christ. Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Philippians 2, 5, for your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who in humility gave himself and be, was willing to die even and die on the cross. That's our new posturing. Galatians chapter 5, to walk according not to the flesh, but walk according to the spirit and to engage in authentic relationship. I'm calling the men to live in relationship, to live in koinonia with each other and watch the world change. You can be seated. That's what the New Testament church was full of. The New Testament church was full of people with spiritual grit and tenacity. They're like, bring what you may. I don't want it, but bring what you may. I will not relinquish the power of the word of God. 
They lived on mission together. I'm trying to call us to live on mission together. And this is what happened as a result of them living on mission together. Get ready for this. You might want to write down a lot of, I'm just going to rattle. Because I'm so fed up. I used to be the guy who's like, man, I'm in. Remember, I used to serve a church. First church, remember, I ever went to as a lead pastor. I grew up from 55 to 40 right away. Remember that story? And my kid was six months old when I went there. He was the only kid under the age of third grade. It's like, come on. But God started to work. God started to move. He started to do amazing things. So I used to be the guy who would be like, ah, oh, big churches don't have depth, whatever. This church has plenty of depth. We're just going to take more and more ground for the kingdom. That's all. We, we care more about taking ground for the kingdom than we, we care about making sure we keep things as they are. There's a difference. As a result of the biblical community living on mission, it tells us right away, 120 people, Acts 1.15. Acts 2.41, there's 3,000 coming to know Jesus Christ. Like, boom. Like, would you rather be here for 3,000 people getting baptized in a moment or go to the Michigan National Championship? Like, what would you pick? Like, that's a true question for you. Yeah, rhetorical, but what would you pick? And if it's not the 3,000, you're messed up as a believer. I'm sorry messed up you don't get it you don't get it you don't get it you don't get it if you're blind to the brokenness around you it's because you're not opening your eyes to it Acts 2.47, it says, day by day, the Lord added to their number being saved. There's more. Acts chapter 4, verse 4, it tells us 5,000, and these are men coming into Jesus Christ. Probably represents another 10,000. Like, this is happening fast. All of a sudden, in the midst of all the persecution and all the hatred, their spiritual grit and tenacity, the understanding of what God was doing because the Holy Spirit was dwelling within them. Holy Spirit was there living within them. So we don't need the high priest. We had one great high priest. His name is Christ Jesus. Acts 5.14 says more than ever believers are added to the Lord. Multitudes of men and women. Acts 6.1 in those days when the disciples were increasing their numbers. Acts 6.7 the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. It just kept growing. We're going to talk about growth issues. We're trying to figure out how to add more seats in this place. I'm just going to start hanging people from the ceiling. Why would we not? Oh, it's an inconvenience. I'm getting in fine. Go away. So it doesn't work. Hey, seriously. Yeah, we need more apathetic, lukewarm people. Definition of being facetious. Acts 6, 7, the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Acts eleven twenty four, a great many people were added to the Lord. Acts 12, 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Acts 16, 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith. And because they were strengthened in the, their faith, it says that the numbers increased daily. Daily. 
I, listen, I'm amazed. We baptize somewhere between two and 300 people a year. I'm amazed by that. I just don't actually, but the more I'm getting to understand the power of the word of God, the more I'm going, why is that not per month? We got enough lost people, friends. Are we living on mission together? Again, I know that some of us are going, no, we're, we're living according to Christ. We know who Christ is, but are you living on mission? You cannot get away from the fact in Acts chapter 2, in the beginning of the New Testament church, that they lived with this, this spiritual tenacity on a mission to serve Jesus Christ together. We need more people like Nathan and Lauren Potter who are just they are crushing it in the Philippines. I'll be with them in a, in a month or so. God's just working and doing amazing things. We're being invited all over the place, truly. And so my biggest prayer is, is not to have the, even really the energy. My biggest prayer is for the people in this church to recognize that they're the ones being called to go on mission and for God to provide those resources so that we can go. Because for some reason... We get all of our people together, we step into a place and we start seeing movement and, and people start getting baptized who haven't seen people baptized in forever. Do you know, Holt, we're in Holt now. That, that church had one baptism in the last four and a half years. It's four and a half years, something like that ago. They've already had people being baptized. And one day, Governor Whitmer, it's you. Why not? What happens when our Senate and our Congress and our president and our vice president, what happens when a nation starts to truly surrender to Jesus Christ? But it starts with us to be on mission together. So this is my request, that you would go on mission with us. That you would go on mission with us. By committing to worship, here's the three things. Commit to worship through daily prayer. I'm asking that everybody in this church prays for three minutes a day for the next 30 days for this ministry. Three minutes, that's all I'm asking. Can you not give us three minutes to pray that God would have his way? That you would commit to biblical relationships. God made us to live in Koinonia. I'm sorry, I know some of you are like, oh, I just don't do that. I don't give a rip. I don't care. I care about the word of God. Look at where that's gotten us. And to commit to mission by giving of your time and energy and talent and talents and resources. Because we can't do it alone. We can't do it alone. We can't do it alone. Will you be ecclesia with us? Go on mission with us. Will you go? Will you be a part of this? And I know we all have our own role, but God is calling us to something greater. I I shot a video recently and I sent it out to you guys and I truly believe God is just getting started. This is just a foundation for us to be radically, radically used to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray you're ready to go on mission. Will you stand with me as I pray for you? God, I come before you in the name of Jesus Christ and I pray that you would have your way with every single man and woman and child in this place. Have your way. May may we not be the people who watch the world fall, but the ones who step into a fallen world and proclaim Jesus. And to be reminded of your goodness, to be reminded of your power. Amen.